Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. Oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and thank you once again for joining us on what is to be a stupendous podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, and I am the author of a series of books entitled Bigfoot, Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, all of which are available at Amazon. And if you're an audio buff and you want to listen while driving in your car, volumes two through six are currently available at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. So take advantage of that and help us support or help support what we are doing here on the podcast. And now, right here, live and in person, my brother and co-host, Kevin Sheehan. How are you, Kev? Hey, Bill. How's it going? (laughs) All right, man. Well, we're not really in person, but... No. Maybe impersonators. (laughs) We're virtually in person. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) In this computerized age. (laughs) Folks, can't you see him on the screen? I can see him. (laughs) (laughs) We're about 600 miles apart, folks. I'm down in North Carolina. And as you avid listeners know, Bill's up up in Long Island, New York. So we uh, do this virtually together. Awesome. And may I add, today, sunny Long Island, New York. And we just set our clocks ahead, so that's kind of cool, too. It'll be a little brighter, a little later around here today. I'm excited, Bill. And uh, I lost an hour's sleep, and I'm not that tired, so that's a good sign. (laughs) I was at the gym this morning, an hour earlier. Oh, wow. You're ahead of me. Yeah. And, you know, (laughs) it's sad, but not so much at the gym. There was a pretty good crowd there for a Sunday. Sunday's a slow day over there. But, uh, you know, I'm thinking about this corona mess, and uh, people are just hiding out. Unless, uh, of course, yesterday I was over in Costco, and uh, the place was mobbed. It was like Christmas time over there. Yeah. So I feel bad, though. You know, I mean, who doesn't? You know, it's just an unfortunate turn of events here that we got to get through yeah it's a little uh scary too you know we don't know what the future holds there's no vaccine there's no real treatment and of course the 24 7 news cycle is just scaring the bejesus out of all of us yeah and you know uh you know me kev as a christian guy i was thinking about in days of yore and days of old when pandemics hit the planet uh when people had no medical care, when people had no hospitals, walk-in medical clinics, no sharing of information as to what was going on uh, hundreds of miles away from them, 
that they could quickly uh, obtain and put to use. And you could see how quickly something could turn uh, fairly nasty and uh, do in quite a few people. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, thoughts and prayers to all those folks out there that are in the line of fire, so to speak, of the COVID-19 virus, you know, and of course, anybody that's got it. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing, too. Thoughts and prayers, folks. Focus your prayers on wellness, on defeating this, and uh, for the health and safety of your family and all of those families of the listeners that are tuning into this podcast as well. And as you know, I work in a hospital, and uh, they're preparing one entire unit uh, to handle coronavirus cases. They've set a unit aside. There's nobody in there right now, thank God. But they're actually setting a unit aside uh, should the need occur to handle these people. So pray, people, pray. All, All right, right, Kev, let's get going here. What do you got for yeah, us today? So today, um, we're going to go to a phenomenon that occurs uh, each and every day, or at least every few months, out on the West Coast of the United States. So we're not going super far back in time, although this phenomenon has, or cryptid, has existed for many, many years, as we'll cover. And it is known as the Dark Watchers. The Dark Watchers? Yeah, have you heard of these? No, but there's more than one? Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You sure it's just like not a couple of ghouls wearing black hoodies? Uh, They're definitely ghoul-like, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Okay, bro. So the Dark Uh, Watchers, they're typically seen, but uh, but most often seen, in uh, the Santa Lucia Mountains. And the Santa Lucia Mountains are uh, the inland co- inland coastal range, so right on the coast of the Pacific Ocean. And they're about two-thirds of the way up, heading north from Los Angeles to San Francisco. And they're just south of the uh, picturesque town of Big Sur, California. Wow. So beautiful area of the coastline. And uh, these mountains are there, and uh, these things have been seen and documented for years. Well, now how many years are we talking about? Oh, we'll get into it. We'll okay. get into it. So, so these dark watchers, first off, they're giant human-like phantoms that are typically seen at twilight. You know, either at sunrise or at sunset. Silhouette, silhouetted against the sky along the ridges and peaks of the mountain range. Hmm, that's so, creepy. Yeah, very creepy. It gets better. So when you see these or when they're spotted, the beings are usually seen staring off into the open air of the mountains, seemingly at nothing in particular and definitely not really looking at you as the person that's, that's looking at them. Jeez, what are they, like in a group? Well, they see them sometimes one, mostly one at a time, sometimes a few of them silhouetted against the sky. So, And they're described as tall, very tall, you know, sometimes like 12, 15 feet tall, uh, featureless, dark silhouettes, and they're usually wearing, get this, wide-brimmed hats. 
great. Yeah, kind of like the Amish specters. <laughs> yeah, and you know, uh, there is a, uh, a specter, if you will, uh, that is reported amongst the uh, ghost hunting community uh, for many, many years called the Hat Man. Yeah, yeah, you've mentioned that before. Yeah, and the Hat Man is a tall, lean specter, all black with a brimmed hat on. Mm. Like you just described. So who knows? Maybe this is where the hat men live. Maybe. And, you know, we'll talk about some of the accounts. But, you know, basically when people see them, if they're brave enough to approach them, as soon as they get up close to the to the uh, dark watcher, they seem to disappear instantly. Hmm, that's really odd. Very strange. Yeah, it's like they allow you to see them from afar, but not too close. Exactly. Uh, that's creepy. And, and these Dark Watchers, so if we look at one of the first and most famous uh, uh, documentation of their existence, comes from the famous author, John Steinbeck. Ah. And John Steinbeck, in a story called Flight... Uh, he included uh, he included um, uh, documentation or an account of the Dark Watchers, and this was written in 1938. So I'm going to read you this little paragraph from John now, Steinbeck. This was out of a, a book he did, or just an article? It's a um, uh, a short story called "The Long Valley," okay. which was part of a collection of short stories called "Flight." Okay. Like the flight of a plane. Excellent. So it goes like this. Pepe looked suspiciously back every minute or so, and his eyes sought the tops of the ridges ahead. Once, on a white barren spur, he saw a black figure for a moment. But he looked quickly away, for it was one of the dark watchers. No one knew who the watchers were, nor where they lived. But it was better to ignore them and never to show interest in them. They did not bother one who stayed on the trail and minded his own business. Hmm. Pretty really, cool, yeah. huh? Yeah, and odd that uh, Steinbeck included that little blip uh, or little blurb in this uh, in this short. Uh, about the Watchers. He must have had some knowledge of it or had heard about them at some point in time. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah. And uh, we'll get to it in a little while. John Steinbeck's son actually wrote a book specifically about the Dark Watchers, too. Wow. We're going to get there. So I'm, I'm sure that John Steinbeck talked about them, you know, and introduced his son to them, and maybe they saw them together out wow, there that's, in California. that's incredible. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty yeah. Pretty cool. So um, I'm going to go through a few accounts here, ranging over a period of time. Um, and most of these accounts came from our friends at MysteriousUniverse.org and a gentleman by the name of Brent Swanser. So pretty interesting stuff. Okay, let her so, rip. Yeah, so the, the first one I'll talk about occurred back in uh, the middle of the 1960s. And it was either a school teacher or a school principal. I've read different accounts of this, and uh, they they don't agree. But um, he was out hiking in the in the mountain range on the Monterey Peninsula, so on the north north end 
of this mountain range. And he walked along and he claimed that he saw a dark figure looming up upon a ridge. And it seemed to be in the process, this figure, of just standing there, kind of looking out at the scenery. And uh, this hiker called out to the mysterious figure, you know, and and at that instance, the entity, entity, the specter, simply dissolved from sight as it had never been there. So picture that. He's looking at it. He's getting up closer to it. He yells to it, and then the thing disappears. Yeah, that's... Uh... You know me, Kev. Mm, I the know. D, the D word. I know. Wow, unbelievable. It's hard not to think that, right? Yeah, I mean, come on. Very yep. odd. And it's dissolving it. Always, you know me, Kev. When you see darkness, what do you think? Yep. So, <laughs> uh, I don't know, something fishy going on here. But let's continue down this road. Yep, yep. So um, we have another one here. This was in 2013, so not too long ago. There was a report made by an Elizabeth Benitez of San Mateo, California, and she claimed to have seen the specters in broad daylight near the uh, San Luis Obispo Reservoir. She would say of this encounter that she remembers one day my friend and I were coming back from Los Angeles We passed the reservoir, and as we drove on the road, I saw something at a distance down at the end of the mountain. It was a really big human figure, but it wasn't. It had a black cape, kind of like a grim reaper, and it was leaning over, holding on to a staff at a puddle of water. Or so that is what it seemed at a distance. It was in daytime, so I could identify it what, that it wasn't a person. Even in mid-light, he was very black and reminded me of a raven. I told my friend that was driving to look over at the mountains, and surprisingly, she was able to see a glimpse of it. I asked her what she saw without giving her my details, and she said exactly what I saw. She only looked at it for about five seconds, but she was able to see it. She almost lost control of the car, too, when she looked away at it, and I begged her to go back and see it, but she was very tired of driving already. These dark watchers are real. Wow, that is creepy. That is super creepy, right? Yeah, and when you're talking about, she describes the color as being like a raven. That is really dense uh, blackness. Yeah, that one's in the daytime. So yeah. you know, most of them, most of the sightings, like I said, are at dawn or dusk. And then you could see things would look shadowy because everything looks shadowy anyway. Absolutely. Right, because the sun is low. But this one's in midday and they're just driving along in the car. So it's not mm-hmm. like they're, uh, ideally, it's not like they were uh, under the influence of anything. And this thing leaning on a staff, you know, like watching, like hence the name, The Watchers. Yeah, many of the accounts say that it's holding a stick or a staff. And almost always with this cape and the wide-brimmed hat. Hmm. Yeah. Really, you can imagine yourself being in the circumstances where you, you're seeing this thing, the, the feelings you would have just like they do. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. All right, so we got another one here. So this one, 2013, uh, again, was an account from a witness that only goes by the name of Brian, and he was from Hollister, California. 
And uh, he claimed to have seen the specter as they were driving home. So he said uh, about the account. So here, here's Brian. He says, we're coming home to the San Juan Batista Hollister side when we saw a very large dark, dark figure standing at the edge of the mountains, which is extremely weird since I've never seen anything cross over the barbed wire fence and I travel that road daily at all hours. Hmm. We drove by it slowly behind the figure, noticing it staring off into the distant valleys and mountains. It appeared to have a large cape with straight shoulders that were very broad. It seemed to have a hunch on its back. At first, from a distance, I thought it was a large condor, but when I got closer, it stood almost 10 feet tall. I did not, it did not notice us driving behind it, but when we found a spot on the cliffy road to turn around and get a better look, it was gone. Wow. And these are all in a similar area, Kev, the sightings? Yep, yep. It, this Lucia Mountain San Lucia range? Mountains. San Lucia. Santa Lucia Mountains. Santa Lucia. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's just incredible. Yeah. You know, so, and uh, Lucia, or St. Lucia, uh, she was one of the uh, children that had the Fatima vision. Ah, Our Lady of Fatima. Yeah, so I don't know if uh, this mountain range was named uh, after the fact uh, in her behalf or if it had been named that beforehand after another Lucia. Yeah, I guess it, it's been named that a long, long time. Right? Yeah, yeah, interesting, you know. Yeah. Uh, really creepy, these things just staring off. Like, none of them are really, like, uh, coming towards or or coming after the people who are sighting them. In fact, in that one, it just dissolved. Yeah. Uh, like when it knew it was being looked at, it just poosh and uh, disappeared. Yeah, yeah. That is- a, I'll, I'll give you another one here that's more recent. In 2018, Wow. Um, uh, a witness uh, also who lived in California, he's out hiking in the mountains, same region, when he came across something very bizarre. And uh, he said he was hiking up a remote trail. Um, I was about an hour up the mountain, no people, no cars in sight. As I was hiking, I had this eerie feeling that I was being watched. I looked up at the top of the mountain. It was a black figure. I waved, half jokingly, not really thinking the object was a person, and it waved back. Uh. Hey, come on over and have a little snack. <laughs> Thinking I was maybe uh, tripping, you know, hallucinating, yeah. or that it was a tree waving in the wind, I took a puff of my cigarette only to see the figure blow out a plume of smoke as well. Wow, it was like it was mimicking him. Yes. I started seeing it flowing, and I say flowing, almost floating vertically. I ran like hell back to my car, spraining my knee in the process. Good grief. Yeah. Holy So super mackerel. creepy. And again, a lot of the accounts like that one talk of, uh, just like we do with the Harryman accounts, where we hear the person just has a feeling that something's watching them or something's wrong. Yeah, and uh, we've talked about this, and we will talk about a thousand times, Kev. 
Yeah. You got to honor that feeling when you have it. Oh, no doubt. That's like a safety valve in a human being. To Absolutely. Let you, you know, be on guard. Something's afoot. No doubt about it. Yeah. Wow, so, that is. so I mentioned early on today that uh, uh, John Steinbeck's son wrote an entire book on the subject. So his name is Thomas Steinbeck, and he wrote this book on the subject after having his own encounter. So wow. he ran into one of these dark watchers. And he went on to research all of the folklore, and uh, the book he wrote was called In Search of Dark Watchers. So, pretty cool. Yeah, I bet you he had some uh, lengthy conversations with his father, John, about his experience, you know? Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And uh, he did a bunch of research into it, uh, kind of the... uh, the history of it and all of the ancient uh, lore as well. Um, I got to get my hands on that book in search of the dark watchers. Cause it sounds pretty cool. Maybe after I get my hands on that, we'll do another episode. Yeah. You know, and it's so easy, Kev, to just say, come on, it's nonsense, right? I mean, that's easy. Anybody can just uh, discount what another person says as being just rubbish. I mean, that, that that takes nothing, right? Come on, guys. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to go get some groceries. Yep. But how often do we hear these bizarre tales about people who have these experiences? And uh, they all can't be nonsense, folks. You know, everybody isn't for a bucket of beans walking around on two legs, you know? Yep. Uh, it's just uh it just blows my mind. You know, these people saw something. Some of them saw something. No, no doubt about it. So, you know, you asked in the beginning how long this has been going on. So, you know, as I'm um reading through all of this material, getting ready for the podcast, you know, um the accounts go back a couple of centuries. And they're traced back to to the native Chumash tribe of the central coast of California. Uh, they were also present along the islands there, the Channel Islands like Catalina, etc. And they had a rich tradition of lore on these strange beings, these strange creatures. They called them the old ones. Um, and early Spanish explorers and Mexican ranchers also knew of them, and they called them Los Vigilantes Oscuros. And they're often seen, believe it or not, by early explorers and some of the soldiers that were out uh, exploring the region early on, you know, as it was getting settled. And they would they would start out, you know, in this documentation, they'd start out with a feeling that something was watching them, and they would look up and see these specters looking down from the cliffs. Amazing. Very strange, right? You know, and here we go again, uh, back into somewhat ancient times, with other people having seen them that really we wouldn't have known about until we're more modernized here in the sharing of information and books, uh, literature, and now here the spoken word over a computer. Who knew? Yep. Uh, sharing about uh, these specters, as we call them. Very yep. creepy. Very, Super. very creepy. Super strange. Um, I hadn't heard of them before. I've spent a lot of time on the California coast. I'm definitely going to be looking for them. I'm not sure I'm going to walk up the hill and uh, try and uh, 
talk to him, though. So there's a couple of explanations, you know, for this, which I thought were interesting that I never heard of before. I'll talk about one of them. So there's a there's an optical illusion, apparently, that's known as a Brocken specter. Um, and they say that that's a plausible explanation for the legend. And with a Brocken specter, or, uh, you know, basically it occurs in the mountains when there's certain atmospheric conditions, when the sun is at a particular angle, uh, a person's shadow can be cast onto a cloud bank around them, creating the, the illusion of actually a large shadowy humanoid figure. So basically, if the conditions are right and the sun's at the right angle, you see like a reflection of yourself onto the atmosphere around you. Now, that doesn't explain, you know, you're driving along in the car, right? And you're looking out the window and you see, you know, this 10 foot tall <laughs> specter with a cape and a broad hat and a stick. But, you know. <laughs> And he waves to you after you wave yeah, to him exactly. and blows a puff of smoke out after you blow out a puff I, of I smoke. I figured I'd mention it because it was yeah. a better explanation than the classic one, which is maybe it was a bear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a classic explanation. It's a freaking demon. <laughs> ah! <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. So uh, there are a lot of accounts. Um, I mean, there's I have like 15 more of them in front of me. So, you know, if people are interested in uh, in, uh, you know, this this uh, cryptid, go out there, Google it. There's a lot of information there. And I'll put some of the artwork of these specters. Uh, up on uh, our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. And finally, I did want to mention that, you know, if you're a Harry Potter fan, which uh, I have been known as a Harry Potter fan, read all the books with the kids going back in time, you don't want to confuse the Dark Watchers with the Death Eaters from Harry Potter. They're pretty <laughs> similar in look. Um, but, uh, of course, the uh, the Dark Watchers have been around a lot longer than the Death Eaters. <laughs> so, uh, but pretty, pretty interesting. As I was reading about them, I was like, oh, it kind of reminds me of the Death Eaters from Harry yeah. Potter. And, folks, don't go inviting any Watchers into your home after we talk about this. No. Do no, yourself no, no. a favor. Anybody oh. shows up, generally speaking, where you can't see the features on their face, they're 10 feet tall, they have a black cape on and a broad-brimmed hat and a staff, or a sickle, for that matter. <laughs> Don't let them in. <laughs> oh, that is freaking awesome. Well, I tell you, I'm going to follow that up with a really creepy account here. And uh, once again, it's not the guy sitting in the armchair uh, eating cheese doodles. <laughs> that comes in contact with the Bigfoot, but rather in this case, again, a hunter who is with a couple of other men uh, on the hunt, as you will hear, and has a really chilling encounter that I'm sure you will appreciate. This was brought to my attention by a fellow named Sam Longfooter, who just happens to be an American Indian, I joked with Sam on our interview about someone with his last name having the encounter, which you shall soon uh, hear about. And this is basically what uh, Mr. Longfooter had to say. Uh, 
In 2008, we were going up into the Tongass National Forest region for a grizzly bear hunt, Alaskan style. Having flown into Ketchikan, we had arranged for a guide service to meet up with us. He had a 36-foot trawler-style ship with a 20-foot aluminum tender in tow. The plan being to get us in close proximity via the Beam Canal to where we would hunt. Thereafter, we would anchor the trawler and take the skiff up into the Unuk River to establish our camp and begin the hunt. I'm not going to lie to you. You can easily die on a grizzly hunt, and many have through the years. You can do everything right and have your gun jam at the critical moment in which you are firing your shot and be mauled to death. I always hunt grizzly with one or two armed men besides myself for this reason. And yes, the gun jamming has actually happened to me personally, with a grizzly charging at us from 70 feet away. If my guide had not been at the ready, I would not be here speaking with you today. My guide for this hunt was a well-seasoned old-timer who knew this area well. When it came to grizzlies, he was renowned for his ability to consistently score the largest of the large. The plan was to take the tender into this zone each day from the main ship and hunt the woods, returning to the main ship every afternoon to eat and sleep until we found our mark. The forest by the river is perpetually damp and shadowy. Its floor is covered predominantly in a layer of thick, spongy green moss, which silences not only our steps, but those of the bears as well. This, at times, makes one ask the question, just who is stalking who? For if you are not careful, the tables can be swiftly turned, leaving you wishing that you had never been born. On our first day in, we had come across numerous tracks that were fresh and large. We also had located numerous tree scrapes, indicating a large bear was in the area. That afternoon, it started to rain and rain hard. I had learned many years ago to leave the woods if it started to rain while hunting bear. Sound is such a critical aspect that to have it drowned out by a noisy rainfall can prove to be deadly. And so it was that we left the woods for the remainder of the day. Unfortunately, it kept raining throughout the night as well as into the following day. So we had made the decision as a group to stay put in the ship until the weather became more favorable. On the third day, we were back in the woods. The forest was soaked. As we walked, our boots were sinking into the moss three to four inches with every step that we took. The bear's prints, which we had seen the other day, were quite large, indicating that a seriously big bear was on the prowl. At times in here, we couldn't see with clarity more than 30 feet ahead or to the side of us. Knowing that a large grizzly could cover ground quickly, we were all on edge. We were making our way in deep, 
when we ran across a second set of prints that were not from a bear. Immediately, we all knew what they were from. These prints were well over 24 inches long and 10 inches wide. Some of them were at least a foot deep or more into the moss. We were now following the tracks not of a bear. Excuse me. We were now following the tracks of a bear and a Sasquatch. This was quite a duo to be in the woods with, and not being able to hear nor see them could prove to be devastating. We had been tracking what we believed to be a thousand-pound bear based on the size of its tracks, and now based on the size of the Sasquatch tracks, God only knows what this thing would weigh in at. I was not ignorant of the beast, and neither was my guide. This was an extremely dicey and dangerous situation. But curiosity had gotten the best of us, and we moved forward. There were hundreds and hundreds of tracks laid down in line with each other, moving off into the direction we were now heading. It was then that the realization came upon me that we were no longer interested in the grizzly. We were now stalking a Sasquatch through this dense and treacherous forest. It must have been an hour into the hike, with the trail having not gone cold in the least. When we started to break out of the damp forest into a clearing filled with tall grass and clusters of trees. This was the absolute worst-case scenario imaginable for stalking a bear or anything else. A grizzly could come busting out of here at any moment and be on us before we knew what happened. We weren't making a sound as we walked, like we were walking on a mattress with bare feet. It was almost instantaneous that as we entered this field, a stench of what I can only describe as being raw, fresh crap hit all of us in our nostrils at the same time. It was the foulest smelling odor that you could imagine, and it was overwhelming us almost to the point of gagging. As we stood there, some areas of the grass and brush ahead of us appeared to be some six feet tall or better. And while we were coming to grips with the stench and, and, and what may be before us, a huge figure started to rise up out of the grass some 50 feet from where we stood. As soon as we saw it, we knew what it was, and we ducked down in unison. Although we were now hidden, the problem now was that we couldn't see what we knew was the Sasquatch. If he should decide to turn and retrace his steps, it would surely be a gunfight. As we sat squatting, we could hear some grunting sounds coming from the beast. Then everything went quiet. We wouldn't dare stand up and remain squatting with our guns pointed straight ahead for some 30 minutes or more, expecting that at any moment the grass in front of us would part, revealing this hideous monster. I was the first one who actually stood to my feet to have a look-see. It was safe, in my opinion, and I waved for the guide to back out of where we were. We made it all the way back to the tender and then to the ship, having made the decision to quit the hunt for the day. 
to a man we believed that this Sasquatch was squatting in the brush, relieving itself, and had just stood up with its back to us as we ducked down. The following day, we were not prepared to give up on this location, knowing that a huge grizzly was on the prowl. We put the gear in the skiff and once again went ashore. We began to scout out the forest in the same way we had the day before, but we were not coming across any new grizzly tracks other than the ones from the previous day's hunt. In similar fashion to the day before, about an hour into the hunt, we once again came upon a new set of Sasquatch prints. Only this time, there were two sets of tracks paralleling each other. There were many of them, with one set being larger than the other. Our hunch at that time was that the grizzly had moved out, either because of the competition, or perhaps it wasn't willing to put up a territorial fight for its domain. This was all a guess because we really don't know anything about the relationships between these creatures. But the facts being what they were, the bear was gone, and now there were two Sasquatch in the area. The day before, as the Sasquatch began to stand, we squatted down immediately upon seeing him. And having said as much, I still saw that its body, not yet standing fully erect, was at least four feet taller than the surrounding grass. I am six feet tall, and some of the grass was taller than me. We knew that this larger Sasquatch was, at the very least, all of 11 to 12 feet tall. Additionally, we already knew the size of its feet, having tracked it through the forest and into the field. We had decided yet again to track these two sets as far as we could without getting into a compromised position as we had the day before. It must have been at least a mile or more into the stalk when we came upon a large decaying tree on the ground covered in moss. The tree, for the most part, in the center of its remaining trunk had been freshly torn apart. Both sets of prints were present, overlapping each other around the entire tree trunk. We now knew that these Sasquatch were more than likely harvesting grubs from the decaying tree. It's funny, but this is the type of thing which is actually taught in survivalist training. Grubs can serve as a food source for humans who find themselves in dire straits. Unwilling to carry on the search any further, having come for a grizzly and not a Sasquatch, we aborted the hunt and went back to the ship. Two days later, I scored a large bear several miles away on the northwest side of the river. No further evidence of Sasquatch was seen or heard. I cannot emphasize enough the fear that came upon me when I was suddenly confronted with the enormity of this monster standing up in front of us that day. The sheer size and dimensions of what we could see was staggering. Even with my rifle in hand, I felt it wouldn't be enough if it had charged. By the time a bullet would have, a, would have done it in, we would have been dead for sure. You just can't believe it, and yet there it is standing before you. From the waist up and looking at the back, which was our perspective, I was looking at what appeared to be the shape of an old-fashioned kite. The middle of the longer bottom section of the kite being its waist, which was more than likely three or more feet wide. The back angling up even wider to the area of the shoulders, 
would be seen as the main rib of the kite. And the shoulders were probably something along the lines of six to seven feet wide. The upper angled section of the kite would be its upper trap muscles. And these were so large that they were obscuring almost its entire head from view. I believe I was only looking at maybe one-third of its head because of the immense size of its muscles. What do you think of that? Holy cow. Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, you know... You know, and we talk about things getting the best of people. You know, you would think that common sense would prevail. But even he had said that he came to the realization that we had come for a bear. And now we were tracking a Sasquatch. Like, they, you lose your ability to reason like, you know. Yeah, well, you also, like anything else, you know, you you get immersed in the environment. And when you're first enter the environment, you know, say it's an environment with these huge brown bears or, you know, he called them grizzlies. I know them as brown bears up in Alaska, which is the same thing, just different diet. Um, they, you know, it's it's uh, frightening and nerve wracking. But then after you're with them, you know, and you get closer and closer to them, you get more comfortable with the situation. You know, I mean, yeah. the same's true, like, you know, some of my friends that have trouble with heights, for example, then when they first walk up to the edge of a cliff or something like that, it's terrifying. And then after they're there for 15 minutes or so, it's more comfortable. You know, they're more comfortable with it. And I think this being around these, these uh, certainly around the brown bears and grizzlies is a little bit that way. You know, you when you first see one, say a few hundred yards away, you're like, oh, my God, you know. Look how fast that thing can go. And then uh, before you know it, like when I was up in Alaska this summer, you know, you start to see them when they're, no kidding, like 20 feet away. Oh, boy. I mean, I told you, Bill, we, I had, uh, you know, the big 600-millimeter uh, lens on my digital SLR camera, and then I bought a doubler, you know, that basically doubles the magnification of the lens because I right. thought they'd be so far away. And some of the best photos that I took were with my iPhone because they were too close uh, to use the camera. <laughs> Jeez. Holy smoke. Yeah, yeah. I like his comment about, uh, well, there's a lot of things I like, uh, but his comment about when he saw this thing rise up out of the grass even holding his rifle, he said to himself, it wouldn't be enough. No, no, absolutely. You, you know, know, I mean, you think about a hunter just shooting a deer. I mean, they could get lost for a long distance uh, with an arrow right through them or a gunshot. Yep. And if you think about something, what this did he say? is gigantic. What did he yeah. say, 10 feet tall? and 10 to 12 feet tall 10 above to 12 the 12 feet tall, I can't imagine. And then it's feet <laughs> 24 inches long and in the moss, right? He, I think he said the the impression was a foot deep. Yeah, just insane. I now, mean, I, that's crazy. When people say that they can't relate to such mammoth proportions, but I work with a woman who was living a, a long time in the foothills of the Rockies 
And uh, she had told me that everybody in their area had metal doors on their houses because of the bear population. Oh, sure. Yeah. And she was outside one day and called the kids back into the house, something to this effect. And a mother, a sow, stood up next to her house on its hind leg legs, and the body was much higher than the eaves or the rain gutter on the house. Hmm. So picture this mammoth creature just rising up like, what the heck? You know, you know, people can't relate to that. They think of a large dog as being something big. But these things are like, it's like a car, you oh, know, yeah. with, with teeth and claws. Yeah, I'll, I'll put some more photos up of the... Uh giant brown bears close up and personal on the website bigfoottourinwoods.com in Alaska and I have some footage too of probably uh, uh, some of these areas to give gives the listener a feel for how you know when you're walking along uh, my wife took some pictures of me uh, walking along where the brush was like you know six feet tall and I'm six feet tall and um you know we saw the footprints at that point of the brown bear and then later on in that hike we uh with our guide who was heavily armed thank goodness um he he could hear getting to the point of not going out looking for bear in the rain this was a nice clear day he could hear something moving around and you know I think I have a keen sense of uh, knowing when something's there, but he heard it before I heard it, and he said, wait, shh, be quiet. And then all of a sudden, we saw, like, the big hump on the back of the brown bear just, like, 25 yards away. Hmm. Yeah, just like, holy cow. Yeah, and the hump on the brown bear was sticking above the six-foot weed? It was kind of uh, like we're looking through the grass ahead, Uh like he was showing us where to look, and... uh, you know, it was out in uh, in uh, like adjacent meadow there. Wow! I've got some pictures of it. I'll put I'll put those up too. Yeah, and you know the other thing I've heard this at least three or four times of uh, these things uh, paying attention. Uh, remember, we did a while ago, Kev, the podcast on the woman snowshoeing up in Canada. Yeah. Or uh, the first we did the snowshoers. Uh, I think that was in Washington. And then the woman who had the property against the uh, protected wilderness in Canada, who was cross-country skiing, both of whom came across uh, downed trees that were torn apart. Yeah, yeah. So this is a regular thing. They know. Yeah, and and you have this stench again, you know, almost disabling stench. Yeah. And they thought, obviously, from what we I just read, that this thing was squatting down, relieving itself. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if the stench is the normal stench associated with Sasquatch. But uh, I did have that one account where the guy saw the thing walking away from him, and it appeared to have a lot of crusted you-know-what uh, on the butt and the hair around yeah, the butt. Yeah, and it's fur. Yeah, yeah which hair. Which could account for a lot of stench in and of itself if you were walking around like that all day. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Well, it's it's that's a a a fantastic account, Bill. Yeah, I mean, you know, and they just keep coming. 
Yeah. You and know, up in Alaska, boy, you know, when you're hiking around in Alaska, it is not hard to believe that the hairy man is out there. Well, you, you know, know he, it is he's so talking, rural. He's talking about this dark, shadowy, uh, it's almost like a prehistoric forest, you know, in the modern man's eye, uh, the mind's eye. You know, you're in this shadowy no, and everything everything is so overgrown there. You know, I, I told I talked about it in previous podcasts, you know, this plant that they call the Devil's Club, you know, which has these like giant kind of like uh one foot to two foot across leaves on it, and it grows like five or six feet high everywhere in the forest, and then it has these awful thorns all over it, you know, hence the name Devil's Club. But, you know, you can't even move through a lot of these areas if there's not a game trail to follow. Yeah, it's just incredible, you know. Yeah, it's crazy so, stuff. So uh, I hope you guys like that account. I mean, you know, it's just amazing to me uh, what people are coming across and what they've seen. And uh, as Kevin always says, with the cameras and whatnot we have today, I think it's only a matter of time before we get some more substantial uh, photograph similar to the perhaps the Patty film. Yeah, no doubt uh, about it. It would be nice to see something. Uh, that marble mountain footage was very cool, which we keep going back to. Uh, and uh, we'll see what happens, right? We're in it for the ride. No doubt. No doubt. So what do you got, bro? Who, uh, who's writing into us? Yeah, we got some great listener mail again. Thanks, everybody, for writing in. Um, the first uh, email we'll go to is from Barry in Des Moines, Iowa. Whoa. And Barry writes, fantastic. And I did say fantastic with an exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> this show is what life is all about. Two guys having a good time and talking shop. <laughs> cool. And of course, Barry and the rest of you, hopefully you can tell we're having a good time while we're uh, going through all these different cryptids and accounts. Uh, it's good, good stuff. Um, for quite a few years, there have been rumblings of dog man in my state. Oh. Ha <laughs> Haven't seen anything myself, but others claim to have seen him. Your thoughts? Oh, boy. What do you think of that whole thing, Kev? Ooh, man, I think it's demonic. It's uh, it's uh, just, you know, going all the way back to the legends, you know, uh, uh, in Europe, like old world Europe of werewolves and stuff like that. It's, uh, you know. I think the word that we used before with the watchers, specter. Yep is apropos for the dog man. This thing just like comes into being and then goes away. And all it does is bring fear uh, upon those who see it. This is definitely some type of evil uh, that we know nothing about that flashes in and out of our life like a freaking haunting. And people deal with it and they don't know what to do, you know. Yeah, and it also, it seems to, like many of the accounts we've gone through, it seems to stalk people, you know, more so than uh, the hairy man. You know, right. the hairy man is more like people are out exploring the wilderness and they come across them. Right. Um, and, and this kind of, a, you know, with Dog Man, you know, that, that account 
that you went through, Bill, where it was uh, looking in the window on the stormy night, you know, like eight or nine feet off the ground, that window, I, I recall. That was yeah. just like, what the heck? Yeah, that was uh, what they purported to be a Rougarou down in Louisiana. Right. right. And uh, that's, that is a good choice of words, the stalker. Yeah. It's really seeking you out. It's not an accidental uh, finding or a sighting. It's coming for you. Exactly. And, way, uh, way creepier. And, you know, I, I don't group them entirely together, but certainly Rougarou, kind of werewolf-like creature, yeah. dog man, you know, could could be somehow uh, related for sure. Yeah, and I think it's just a a difference of description or an area name that has been attached. But to me, the, the Rougarou and the Dogman seem to be one in the same re- in different regions. Yeah, and pure evil, both of them. Yeah, just, you know, but, you know, similar to the Sasquatch, right? We named it Bigfoot after the guy supposedly finding the big footprints. Uh, you got the Sasquatch. You've got the Uma, you know, the Hairy Man. Uh, you know, we could just go on and on and on with the names that have been given to this thing, but they all really seem to be a, a Bigfoot creature. Yeah, no uh, doubt about it. Which which we kind of uh, all all use, that term. Wow. All right, Barry, thanks for chiming in with us. Good stuff. All right, we're going to go to Mary Ann in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. All right. And Mary Ann writes... I have to say that in the 70s, my husband and I now believe that one of these ran across the road in front of us. It happened so quickly, but yet it happened. Just thought that I would throw my two cents into the mix. You're doing a very nice job, and it's very interesting to hear what you have to say. Love, Mary Ann. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, what do you make of that, Kev? Boy, you know, Lancaster, PA, there's a lot of sightings out there in uh, rural Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm always wondering, like last night we were out in the country here in North Carolina and we took the back way home about a one hour ride, pitch dark, Bill. And I got my eyes open. You know, I haven't seen one yet, but it's not hard to believe that you would see one go across the road at some point in rural places uh, around uh North America, and, uh, you know, it's just not hard to believe, and you wouldn't mistake something else for it if it lit up in your headlights, right? You're not going to mistake a bear for a uh, Sasquatch if you see it in your headlights. No way. Yeah, and the other thing, folks, is like where I live here on Long Island, uh, the maximum speed limit is 55 miles an hour on uh, the main highway, other than that, we're talking about 30 to 40 mile an hour speed limits. And I mean, everybody bumps it up five, five or 10. So 30 might become close to 40, 40 might become close to 50, and 55 might be close to 65. The point I'm getting at, though, Kev, uh, most of the country, uh, and I noticed from my uh, all state policy, the speed limit's 80 miles an hour, isn't it? Yeah, 75 at least. All right. So when you. Down by me, it's 75, 70, 75, and everybody's bumping it up to 80, 85. Yeah. So, you know, the difference at 80 or 85, when you're rattling down the street, 
you can come upon something a lot quicker than I can at 60. Uh, You're coming around a bend and wham, something may hear you or sense you, but it's too late to get out of Dodge and you see it. Whereas at 55 or 60, I might have the opportunity or it may have the opportunity to avoid me altogether. Uh, So it, it just stands to reason to me that occasionally somebody might see one by the highway if they were really rattling along at a good rate of speed, you know. Oh, no doubt about it. And, you know, out by you, Bill, there's you don't have the country roads. You know, here we're cruising along at night like last night, and you could not see another car for a half an hour. Yeah. You know, even coming the other way. So it's very easy to surprise any creature or cryptid uh, as you're coming down the road. Yeah, no doubt about it. I'm hoping you're going to have contact with one one day. I got my eyes open. I'm definitely out there in uh, a lot of times in the wilderness as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, just remember, bro, always carry more gun. <laughs> no doubt. All right. All right. We're going to go down to South America, to Brazil, to Hen- Henrique in Rio de Janeiro. Ah, Enrique. Yeah. Maybe Enrique's uh, recovering from Fat Tuesday down there. <laughs> Carnival. <laughs> Uh, And he writes, wonderful show and great stories. Why do you believe this creature is so elusive? You would think there would be more full-on encounters. Regards, Enrique. Hmm. What do you think, Bill? Well, I mean, first of all, uh, you know, I I believe these things are an animal. Yep. So animals, unless they're given reason not to be elusive uh, via continual contact with human beings or residences or dumpsters or people feeding them, to me, they're generally elusive to begin with, right? Yep, no doubt about it. I mean, I see a lot of animals in my yard or or even like birds because I've been feeding them out here for 20 years. Uh, When the feeders run dry on days when I forget to fill them up, they're gone. Yep, they move on. They move on. I, I mean, I have squirrels that come in the yard because of the feeders. If the feeders weren't there dropping sunflower seeds, they'd be gone. Yep. So uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily being elusive. I think they're just being animals, and they don't really want a lot to do with us. Yeah, I think that's certainly true. And then we've talked about it before, too. You know, this this law of... Uh, of uh, biology where, you know, these large creatures, you know, they generally, there's fewer of them, right? The larger the creature is, generally there's fewer of them. They have fewer uh, babies, you know, um, and uh, the gestation generally takes longer, you know. So whether it's uh, elephants, for example, is a great, great example. They don't have, you know, uh, 10 offspring in a litter, Right, right. You know, mm-hmm. as these creatures get bigger and bigger. So there's less of them, of course. And and they're certainly staying away from humans and they're where the food source is, where the environment's right. And then when it's not, like you said, Bill, they move on. All right. Yeah. Awesome. But hopefully, like we always say, maybe we'll see a lot more of them with the, uh, you know, the advent of uh, just about everybody carrying a, a smartphone these days with a camera and video camera built in, and then also more and more cameras out there, whether they be, you know, the home security and doorbell type cameras or 
uh, you know, the trail cams and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's awesome. And uh, really, I believe, you know, Kev, I've always believed that most of these sightings are accidental. They're really not meant to be. Uh, I don't think a lot of these creatures are seeking you out unless they have a reason to or become accustomed or overly interested in what's going on in your yard. Uh, perhaps some people say they're interested in children watching them, mm. the screaming and the squealing and, the, you know, jumping around, laughter perhaps, you know, or maybe it's their size that they're interested in. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Cool. And our last uh, note comes in from one of your uh, neighbors in the cityscape nearby, Bill, from Ralph in Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> please, hey, tell Ralphie me, Ralph, please tell me, Ralph, you didn't see the hairy man walking down Flatbush <laughs> Avenue. Yeah, he's coming down a fire escape. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so Ralph has a short note here. He says, love to hear what your take is on giants, as in humans. Great podcast. So I'm not sure, Bill. You think he's talking about the New York Giants football team? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, my take on my beloved Giants in New York is not great lately, as you know, Kev. <laughs> uh, maybe we could. We need to suit up a couple of Sasquatch on the line, and then uh, we'll be a team to be reckoned with. Yeah, I'm all for that. The good news is we got baseball season coming up here. That's right. That's right. But you know what? Uh, uh, we've talked before. I mentioned to you, uh, possibly in our other oddities segment, uh, digging into uh, giants uh, at some point in time. So, Ralph, just stay tuned. Uh, my opinion is that giants exist, uh, existed. Uh, and you don't have to look too far for that. We still some we still see some fairly giant human beings today, uh, but not uh, many. And of course, there were the biblical accounts of giants, such as uh, Goliath uh, and his brothers. You know, a lot of people don't know that Goliath had a family. He had brothers, and mm-hmm. they were all big dudes. So if you read those accounts, uh, you know, where his, uh, the bed was like 16 feet long or 20 feet long and uh, the pole of his spear was, for God's sake, like a tree with a 20-pound head on it. I mean, you know, these monstrous human beings. Uh, so maybe we'll dig into some of that as we go along, Kev. How the giants? I think it's a good idea, yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you say Goliath, I think of like the old claymation show of Davy and Goliath. <laughs> yeah, that Goliath wasn't that uh, intimidating. No, he wasn't. He's like, I don't know, Davy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, amazing recall. That's the yeah, song. Yeah, yeah, I remember it. <laughs> and All right, let's... Uh, Let's uh, move to uh, a close here. First, folks, thank you for all of the great emails. Send them in to BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. We want to know what you think. And a great shout-out again for the fantastic reviews. And if you haven't left a review or if you haven't left a review lately, please go right now on your favorite uh, podcast player and give us five stars. When you leave five stars, it draws more people to the podcast and that enables us to continue to improve the quality of the podcast. Thank you very much.
Awesome. And folks, thanks again for joining us today. And remember, as we once again part company, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight. <laughs>